Hi, I'm Jamila and Anybody Everybody Tottenham is a Boyman Flip podcast introducing the good people of Tottenham to you. Hello, my beautiful people. Today's episode is a little bit different. It's a bonus episode. It's not specifically to Tottenham, but it is a course close to my heart. You will see that I talk a little bit more in this episode than usual. And it is about an app which I encourage everyone, not just in Tottenham, to use to make access for disabled people much easier. And I'm talking to Matt who is the founder of Sociability. I really, really enjoyed our conversation. Originally, I was going to publish that episode at the end of this season. But I think the sooner we all get on with it, the sooner we, we get to enjoy all those places. Thank you very much. Hi, today on the pod, we've got Matt from Sociability. Thank you very much for doing this interview. Hi, Jamila. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here and thanks for having me. <laughs> okay, Matt. Can you tell us a little bit about the history of this app and what this app is all about? For sure. Um, so Sociability is a platform that's designed to help disabled people find accessible places and really to give people peace of mind. Um, the goal is to give people the confidence that the venue they're going to has the right accessibility accommodations or features that they will need in order to be able to get in, move around comfortably, you know, use the facilities as they need to. Um, and in particular, to give people this, you know, personalized information. Because I think one of the challenges is that for disabled people, there's such a breadth of accessibility requirements and needs. And those vary between individuals, depending on their disability, but also they vary in context, depending on who someone's with, why they're going, how long they're going for, etc. Um, and a lot of the time, accessibility information is sort of very vague, or it's very binary. You know, people are told, yes, we're accessible, or no, we're not accessible. And that doesn't mean anything to anybody, you know, unless you know the specifics. So sociability is a platform to help give people those answers in, in a level of detail that allows them to be confident that where they're going will work for them. And you started this whole app? I did, yeah. So I myself am a wheelchair user. Um, and it was started by my own experience, actually moving to the UK about six years ago to study. And just the difficulties that I had in finding information about the accessibility of uh, particularly the university that I was going to study at, uh, just really, you know, demonstrated to me that if you don't have this information, if you're wondering and you have this uncertainty and this anxiety and stress, then this is a real barrier. It's a real barrier to people pursuing opportunities mm -hmm. and to, you know, trying new things and to, to broadening their horizons. And so that was the kind of context in which, you know, this problem was made apparent to me. And sociability, you know, mm -hmm. a few years later is, is kind of my attempt to try and solve it. To, to change the world. I like it. So from your accent, are you Australian originally? I am Australian originally, yes. <laughs> from Melbourne. Yeah. So is, is, is there a difference then? Because you said you noticed it when you moved to the UK. So is there more awareness in, in, in Australia? Um, I don't think there is more or less. Like in, in many respects, it's probably similar. Although I think the Paralympics in 2012 in London, you know, probably mean that the UK is a bit more, I guess, recently you know, discussing this topic and mm -hmm. doing things uh, to try and improve access for disabled people, but, you know, with kind of mixed results. But I think it was for me, the reality was at home in Melbourne, you know, I had my routine and my setup pretty much sorted. You know, I mm -hmm. 
at home, was fortunate to have had modifications to make that accessible. I was going to a university, you know, which I knew where things were, and I was spending time with my friends who would help me, and I was going to places that I was familiar with. I wasn't really doing lots yeah. of new things all the time, whereas moving, you know, to the UK for me was a new thing in particular, going to university here, but it also just meant I had to make new friends, I had to go out and try new things, I had to go to different places that I'd never been before. So it was all of a sudden just... Uh, you know, much more apparent that in order to do new things, to try things, uh, you need to have this um, ability to plan ahead. And without information, it's very hard to do so. Yeah, because I I know as well. Um, so I use a rollout. I've got MS, so I also have friends in wheelchairs. That you know, Google Street View is one of our you know go to is, is that what is the access yeah. um to a place but then you don't know with inside you know if you go to a pub or something you might then scroll through their instagram to kind of gauge what are the distances etc but again you don't know where's the toilet nobody takes pictures on instagram of the outside of the toilet yeah, yeah. you know or is it upstairs or downstairs yeah so you went let's let's boast a little bit you went to oxford so is that also where most of the things are mapped now because at the moment tottenham is very blank so that's why i'm hoping to change this a little bit so did it start off in in oxford and now you're slowly trying to spread Yeah, so, I mean, to your first point, just about, you know, the current things that people do to find information, you know, that's exactly right. Like, it's always a mixture of things because nothing gives you the answers that you need, you know. You go on Google Street View and you try to see if there's a step or, or not, then you're on TripAdvisor trying to see if there's a review about, you know, wheelchair access or you're on a blog trying to see if you can see some pictures. And the problem is, for the most part, that is tedious, time-consuming, slow, but also it often doesn't actually give you the answers you need because the reality is that information, like you said, isn't there. People aren't taking pictures of the toilet or of the, you know, steps or stuff like that. Um, and so this is what happened in Oxford when I moved there. In particular, I needed to know about the accessibility of colleges. And so we set up this student project to crowdsource this information about colleges. And over time, mm -hmm. people started to ask, this is great, but do you have actually any ideas for, you know, wheelchair accessible pubs or restaurants or bars? Mm -hmm. um, and so as part of that project, we started to look at non-college spaces um, and then sociability sort of grew out of that as the way in which we could provide you know, a much broader range of information to people beyond, you know, those who are going to a college in, in Oxford. Um, so it definitely started in, in Oxford, but we've since moved to London. And so most of the information mm -hmm. we have to date is actually around central London. And part of the challenge is mm -hmm. how do we, you know, grow that base beyond central london or east london where we are you know further north further south further east further west and yeah. you know one way in which we're doing that is through crowdsourced so anybody can download the app they can add in information about a favorite place that they go to a lot and they can share that instantly with people on the platform um and you know bit by bit we're slowly building this information database up but it is obviously you know just a little bit mm. hard to get started so just um, that people aren't feeling like overwhelmed, what kind of information can they add? Because I also saw you using a little bit of Google, it looked like when I clicked on some. So what kind of information can people add there? Yeah, so I mean, we use information from Google Maps to help people locate themselves and to be able to look up the names and things like that of venues. Um, but then the rest of the information that, you know, we provide and that you can add in is, is our own. Um, in terms of the things that people 
can add, you know, the idea is to keep it as objective as possible. So it's things like, you know, are there any steps? If so, how many, how wide is the door? You know, does, does the door have a, a manual push or is it automatic? Or, you know, what's the toilet like? Are there grab rails? Is the sink, you know, clear underneath? Is there an emergency pull cord? The idea is that this should be sort of yes or no questions. Does this exist? Yes or no. Okay. We cover the range of disability uh, from, you know, mobility impairments to physical to sorry to uh, visual to hearing to sensory so the information we collect is not just for wheelchair users it's designed to be more broadly um, relevant uh, yeah so- I was going to ask about that as well yeah but what are some of the other accessibilities that you mentioned that you, that you kind of collect information like what do you mean with sensory for example yeah for sure so I mean like take someone who you know who's who's hearing impaired or deaf Uh, They might need to be, you know, looking for a place that has good visibility so that they can see a sign language interpreter or, you know, someone who can actually do sign language interpreting uh, or, you know, large font signage or, you know, a hearing loop in a space. Similarly, for someone who might have uh, neurodivergent conditions or they're autistic, you know, they'll need to know if a space is a really high um, sensory sort of input is it very loud is it very busy other lots of colors uh you know is it bright those sorts of things mm. um and so we try to collect as much information about yeah the environment as opposed to just whether or not there are steps or ramps how how happy are you with the 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 process uh, progress you made so far um i mean we could always improve and we're you know always constantly keen to listen to feedback and to keep improving you know we're still early stage um we're happy in the sense of We think our approach to what we're doing makes sense. We've had a lot of users tell us that this is something that, you know, would really help them. And I think particularly this idea of like collecting details is really important. You know, that is something that we we hear a lot about. You know, the reality is people are told this place is accessible. When they turn up, it's not accessible to them. Um, and similarly, mm-hmm. the other thing we hear a lot about is that it's great that we have this focus on, you know, the range of disabilities beyond just wheelchair users because a lot of the time again mm. people are told this place is accessible and the the person who said that had in their mind a wheelchair user and so they're just talking about steps or ramps um yeah. and so i think in terms of like the way in which we're trying to fill the gap you know we're happy we're confident that it's it's the right way to go but there's obviously a lot to improve um and you know part of that is just having a growing community of disabled users but also getting their feedback and their inputs. And, you know, we're really trying to build a product that is built by disabled people for disabled people and, you know, actually meets the needs of the community. So to that extent, you know, we're never content. We're always trying to improve and, you know, always keen to hear from from users as to what we we could improve and make better. You are a proper team now, aren't you, working on this app? How many of you is there? Yeah, so we're a growing team, which is exciting. There's five of us full-time and about 10 part-time people who help collect this information, you know, particularly across London, um, our mappers. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we're looking to grow the team. We're looking to continue building out that, you know, breadth of knowledge as well. Like you said, you know, we're not just one or two people who sort of see the world in you know, a particular way and are trying to build a tool just for that mm-hmm. solution. The goal is to have as many inputs as possible because, You know, the more diverse we are as a team, the better we'll understand the range of needs of our users, for sure. Because when I hear that you started off because of seeing the accessibility of college, this makes me really angry because I'm just like, how how is that possible that these colleges, especially in the UK where you pay a lot of money for your education, and they don't tell you? 
unbelievable. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is, you know, I think there's a couple of things there. The first is that for lots of people, you know, this is a thing that's been a real barrier for a long period of time. And when they've raised it, they just won't listen to you know, it was sort of seen as a, a small minority issue. And to be honest, it wasn't given the, the time of day or the attention it deserved. The second thing is that, you know, this understanding about what actually is helpful. You know, I think over the years, mm. the colleges have definitely improved and different colleges are better and worse than others, for sure. But the broad kind of summary when I was looking for information, you know, which is about six years ago now, and they've definitely improved since, you know, partly for the work that we've done. But the broad, you know, kind of range of things you could find were limited to bedrooms and bathrooms, right? So there was no understanding that if you're a disabled student, you'd want to go and spend time with your friends, you know, in the dining hall or the library or the common room, right? It was just like you spend all your time in your, in your bedroom and bathroom. And that makes sense. So that was, a, you know, a frustration. But the other point was that, like, in terms of the level of detail, it was very minimal. And this is my point again about, like, people would say, yep, this college is accessible. But in reality, it was, you know, accessible to a to a small percentage of people in a particular area. And they thought that was a sufficient way to sort of communicate this, which is not. And, you know, part of the challenge of what we're trying to do is to also educate people about a thing they've you know, not yeah. thought a lot about as to why it's so important and how best to empower a range of people who otherwise are, you know, often marginalised things <laughs> like london transport the tube system that this is i find again i find that outrageous so this is you know like partly my 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 driver here you've got a lot of places in central london but for me to get there i would have to take a cab to go to a pub there but i want to go to my local pub where i can either you know get a lift to or, or something else so it's it's not becoming like a big financial burden yeah i mean i think you know what you just mentioned then is a really important part you know we understand that what we're trying to solve here is just one small piece of the puzzle it's you know it's important to know where you're going and then to have that confidence that your destination is the right place but practically if you struggle to get there or if it's too expensive or it's not you know not feasible then that's not really very helpful right in the sense of You need to still get from point A to B and you need to be able to be, you know, confident that point B is the right place to go. So a large part of what we're also trying to do is partner with the right people and to be able to say, okay, we can solve this particular issue and then our partners can help solve, you know, in more inclusively and accessible transport or, you know, build environment design. Um, and so we're really excited, you know, to be able to work with big names like Toyota to sort of think about inclusive transport. But yeah, I think part okay. of what we're trying to do more broadly is just show that, you know, disabled people want to do the same things that non-disabled people do. And mm -hmm. that is a thing that I think is misunderstood in society. There is this general understanding that, you know, uh, disabled people are different. They don't want to do the things that, you know, everybody else does. And that's why they're not out and about. And when we talk to businesses, you know, whether it's a restaurant or a cafe or a bar, will say, you know, do you have, you know, wheelchair access, for example? And they'll say, no, we don't have any wheelchair users who come here. And it's yeah. one of those ridiculous <laughs> chicken and egg things where, you know, it's like, well, they can't come here because there's a flight of stairs. Um, and unless yeah. they come and tell you, I was going to come here, but I can't get in, you don't see that. Mm. And it sounds obvious when you sort of step it out, but for the most part, people believe this idea that, well, a wheelchair user wouldn't come here because they're, you know, at home and disabled and, you know, they don't want to do anything. <laughs> which is just absurd. And part of what we're trying to do is show that if you build spaces that are inclusive and accessible, people will come. 
And it's just, you know, starting to reverse that burden that the sale person has to really point out, I want to come here and, you know, request access to be able to say, actually, we're going to provide access. And, you know, hopefully people start to see when you do build it, you know, they come. And I think like what you said as well about the variety of accessibility, because I feel like sometimes people are like, oh, you know, we don't have a wheelchair ramp or, you know, we don't have an accessible toilet. And it's like, it's okay, but I just need to know, exactly. you know, just let, let me know. And then I think in, in one of your recent blog posts, you said this, like one of, of, of your wheelchair users doesn't mind one step and doesn't mind necessarily that there is no toilet because you can kind of walk around that once you know you're not going to drink you know lots like a, like a pinch of beer and and you you work with that but it's just like just put what you've got please yeah, yeah. and i think that's right you know two points one is this idea that like people are afraid of getting it wrong and you know the reality is the world is not perfectly accessible to everybody at all times and that is the thing to sell people are well aware of and they also are very used to so to your point i think that's exactly right knowing about this is the next best thing to be able to let people plan ahead because to expect everywhere to be perfect is unreasonable and also impractical and we also can't wait we can't stay inside until everything's fixed you know so i think part of the challenge is getting people to say Okay, it's not perfect, but, you know, at least I'm going to talk about it because you either find out when you arrive and you're disappointed or you find out when you're at home and you can plan and then you turn up and you can, you know, figure it out. And the second part, mm-hmm. I think, is this idea that, you know, accessibility is is not black or white. You know, it depends on context and it depends on who you're with and it depends on what you're looking for. Um, and, you know, for many people, They sort of think about it as like a once-off, we're accessible or we're not, and we'll never be able to have disabled people, and that's a decision. You know, it's 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 this kind of very simplistic way of thinking about it. And what mm. we're trying to do is get people to understand that it's about humans, and, you know, people will change and have different needs, and as many different types of humans as there are, there's many different types of accessibility needs. And so you need to start somewhere. And, look, the third part is probably this idea that disabled people have friends and family And they come with them. <laughs> and when accessibility impacts, sure. yeah, it's a, it's a you know, surprise for many. But when it impacts disabled people, it impacts them as well. And so if I go to a restaurant with 10 of my friends and I can't get in, they won't leave me outside. Mm. We'll all go elsewhere. And so people say, well, but how many disabled people are there? It's like, well, there's one in five mm. people have a disability. And when you add their friends and yeah. family, you know, that's probably closer to one in two, one in three. I mean, one in two households in the UK. Have a connection to disability so it's a huge number of people but it's not seen in the same way and we hope that in the same way that dietary requirement information now is very commonplace right it's it's pretty rare yeah. to go to a restaurant and not have on the menu whether it's vegetarian vegan gluten-free etc you know that's something that has grown over the recent years you know 25 years ago you wouldn't have found that on a menu now today you'd be hard pressed yeah. to open a restaurant without putting it there For literally exactly the same reason. Because if you turn up with a group of 10 people to a steakhouse and one of them is vegetarian, you'll all go elsewhere, right? Uh, if you didn't yeah. know that in advance, you'll be disappointed, you'll be frustrated, everybody loses. Um, and so it's the exact same thing. Just tell us what you've got and we can make you know, the decisions accordingly. Part of it is getting people who, you know, who understand for sure, but also part of it is framing it as this idea that it's an opportunity. You know, and it's an opportunity to innovate and be inclusive and really demonstrate what happens if you, you know, afford thinking on these things. Because the reality is it's coming. 
and you either will be the person who's helping pioneer it or you'll be the people playing catch up at some other stage. And, you know, everybody sort of uh, wants to be the, no one wants to be the first person, but nobody wants to be the, the last person. And so I think yeah. it's a really, you know, fertile time for lots of organisations, particularly, you know, governments, to start to think about how to be more inclusive. And, you know, the one thing the pandemic has shown us is that, you know, we need to, yeah, we need to. Exactly. I was going to talk about the pandemic because I think it was a double-edged sword with the pandemic. I thought it was, on a positive, how quickly there was a move to make things accessible, isn't it? Like culture-wise, you know, oh, suddenly we can stream things, suddenly we can have people working from home, which a lot of disabled people were trying to, to get before yeah. and was like, no, it's too hard. And suddenly a lot of things were made accessible. But at the same time, you know, there was like a problem of, I don't know how you felt when disabled lives were always like, well, you know, when you're healthy, <laughs> there's just such a small chance of, of dying, you know, and it was just like the extremely vulnerable, they can just stay home kind of thing, you know, but the rest of us, we can be outside. So it was like both sides of this. But I think that was, um, from my perspective, a, a big step in including people. I don't know how you think. Yeah. And I think that's right. I think for many disabled people, like you said, the pandemic has been a double-edged sword. You know, obviously the, the government response has been really challenging. Lots of disabled people have been, you know, impacted and, and dying from COVID, you know, much higher rates, which is you know yeah. super unfortunate and, and really horrible. By the same token, exactly like you said, a lot of the accommodations disabled people have been asking for for years and they were told were simply impossible happened overnight because all of a sudden people needed them. But more importantly, the external circumstances changed that like, you know, so quickly that people had to respond. And it just is a really good example of what happens when, you know, uh, necessity drives change, but also when people think that the people asking for change are important enough, to put it bluntly. All of a sudden it was, you know, non-disabled people, it was mainstream, you know, society asking for these things and the changes happened. And I think there's a, you know, hopefully a very good learning that the way in which we did things before was not necessarily the best way to do them. It was mm. just the way we'd inherited and the sort of the way in which people were used to doing things. And in the pandemic, we've had to actually regenerate and recreate and sort of, you know, be much more creative in terms of the way in which we do things. And hopefully that leads us to a much more, you know, productive but also inclusive world. I think there's sort of two potential dangers moving forward. One is that everybody just wants to go back to what it was because that was like normal. When in reality, mm. I think we've had a good, you know, kind of, um, breakdown of some of those old habits that didn't you know really work but just kind of were accepted now we've challenged those and I think that should hopefully you know stick around as we move forward but yeah. the second danger specifically for disabled people I think is that it becomes this sort of excuse you don't have to make spaces accessible because now you can do everything from home and the reality is we, we don't want that to happen because you know yeah. disabled people yeah. as I said before want to do the same things that non-disabled people do and that means going out into the real world and engaging with people and you know being social and mm. doing activities and I think there is for those who are sort of less sincere about this there's going to be this sort of temptation to be like well you're better at home that's what we've done yeah. you can play them right. now. so I think it's really important that we as a mm. society you know make sure that we actively are including people in the new, you know, post-COVID reality versus sort of saying, okay, you guys can now just be at home because it's easier for you there, which, um, you know, is, is one yeah. 
narrative I've definitely heard that I think we should push against. Can I, can I ask one more thing? Like, or yeah. one observation. The concert industry seems to have been very inclusive for a long time. Like, I found they are very approachable if you want to go to a gig to kind of tell you what is there to accommodate you. And I know, like, even to get a carer. And I, I feel like even um, interpreters, sign language interpreters, are, are a much bigger thing. I don't know. I feel like they are quite quite good. Or have you noticed other groups or other spaces that really make an effort of being accessible? Yeah, I think I think that's right. Like I, you know, I enjoy going to live music, and they've definitely been, you know, really great experiences there. Um, I think, you know, in similar sense, sometimes sporting organizations are quite good at that. Okay. I think the challenge is that, like, a lot of the time, whilst you might be able to get, like you said, a carer or a really good seat for a discounted price. It's never as easy to get those as it is for non-disabled people. For example, mm. often you have to ring up instead of booking yeah. online or there's yeah. like you have to prove that you're disabled instead of yeah. just being able to book it or you have to, yeah. you know, you can only come with one person instead of three. And so I think those are things where it's great that these steps are being made by these industries, but by the same mm. token, they also need to think about like how do we actually make sure that we're treating disabled customers equally to non-disabled yeah. customers in the sense of giving them the same enjoyment. Because, yeah. you know, if you go to a music concert, you know, you don't really want to go by yourself, right? But the fact that you can get a ticket to sit inside is great. You're just showing off that you've got more than one friend. <laughs> two. Yeah. <laughs> uh, only two, but, you know, yeah, getting there bit by bit. <laughs> Yeah, but but interesting how I immediately, you know, I'm happy. I'm happy for any kind of oh, you 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 gave me something, but you're right. It's not equal, is it? Not yeah. Thank you very much. That was really good. Yeah, thank you. Pleasure. Thanks for having me on, and and yeah, you know, look forward to to hearing the episode when it comes out. I hope today's episode made you think a little bit more, made you reflect about the spaces that you go to outside of your home. And it is also a call to action. So I would love more people to download that app and not just within Tottenham, but to log places that it is much easier for disabled people to find information. And again, I've, I really like the point that Matt made as well. It's not just about physical disabilities, but to be as inclusive a society as we can be. On a personal note, It is MS Awareness Week in the UK. It's the last week of April. And today's episode, I would like to dedicate to my good friend, Andrew, who is also a big fan of the pod. Thank you, Andrew. And I shall see you soon. Bye. I hope you enjoyed today's episode, learned something new, and let that Tottenham love grow. Take care. And until next time, Bye!